This morning we are continuing our series through Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, and we are going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 23, and going into chapter 3, verse 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in the, located in the, the New Testament. Um, let me pray for us, though, as we begin, uh, that, we would, that God would keep us attentive and that he would speak to us this morning. Lord God, we ask in this time where we approach this time where, where your, your word is spoken, where it's, um, it's proclaimed, there's good news brought forth, that you would use this here and penetrate our hearts with it by your spirit. Uh, we are all in desperate need. We are in desperate need of your spirit to be blowing among our midst this morning and bringing fresh air and fresh life inside of us. Please do so and give us refreshing that the words that are spoken, the words of Jesus here would not just uh, be words that we would read on a page or hear aloud, but that they would very much be the words of Christ Jesus speaking to us here. That we would not just hear about him, but we would actually have him presented to us. And I ask that, um, that I would be able to recede in the background and that Christ would be proclaimed and put forth uh, that I would simply be the, the window for us to gaze through so that we could all see him and behold his glory and his majesty. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, let me go ahead and read for us Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, this is the word of God. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Amen. This is the word of God. I'm sure that some of us have greeted one another this morning with that common question, how are you doing? And I'm willing to bet that uh, that greeting was met at least once from someone, uh, spoken by, by someone somewhere here this morning with the common response of, okay, I'm staying busy. Why is that such a common and typical answer? It's spoken so many times almost as if busyness is a virtue. If I'm not busy, then there's something wrong. 
Or if I'm slacking, then I'm not doing all I can to live a full life. See, one of the greatest cultural idols that we have in our society today is that of busyness. It's just assumed that we will stay busy. We may not recognize our busyness until we are absolutely overwhelmed because it's the water in which we swim. To paraphrase and appropriate the author David Foster Wallace, it's like asking a fish what water is. The fish doesn't know. It's just just what he swims in. It's all that the fish knows. And the busyness of our culture is all that we know. We swim in it. We live in it. Its assumptions become our assumptions. We assume busyness. And it's only when we're taken out then, kind of like a fish being taken out of water, that we become aware and we understand just how busy and how frenetic our lives really are and how much of our social demands assume and celebrate a life of busyness. And a busy life is assumed is the assumed path to being a successful life. It becomes a virtue to uphold, especially if, it's, if success is measured by reaching our maximum productivity. And it, frankly, it even happens to pastors. Just this week, I was looking at my schedule and seeing my calendar and looking at how much it filled up. And I got a certain satisfaction or a certain pride about my calendar being fairly full. I thought I must be doing a pretty good job this week. But unfortunately, this culture of restlessness And in all of it here, the hectic activity has taken hold of many of us in ways that we find enslaving. See, we don't always see the need to break free, except in those moments when we are at our limits. And then when we recognize those times, we don't even know how to escape. So then when we come to this idea of Sabbath, of a day dedicated to rest, it doesn't become immediately apparent on what we're supposed to do with it. It doesn't seem relevant to modern society or to how my life is lived amongst my circumstances. It seems like a burden because it takes me away from fulfilling a life of maximum productivity. But if we regard Sabbath in these ways, it's because we don't don't understand it properly. We need to see it as a gift from God. And God knows what we need as the good gift giver. Now, in the, the prior passages that we've looked at before here, Jesus has been in kind of this theme of where he's been showing these religious-minded people uh, how they've misused and they've misunderstood the Old Testament law and that they've used them in inappropriate ways to build up their own self-righteousness. And Jesus does the same thing again right here, except he uses the example of Sabbath. And he does so here. As he does it, he, gives us, he shows us a better way of understanding rest and of Sabbath. He reclaims it as a gift given by God to humanity, as a time for our rest and our enjoyment, and as a time for us to recalibrate our lives away from the idols of busyness and to focus our gaze back upon the one true God. And so Jesus, in one sense, is having a rescue operation from misunderstanding and misappropriation of the law. And so the first thing we're going to look at here is that, one, Jesus rescues man from the Sabbath's misunderstanding. Jesus rescues man from the Sabbath's misunderstanding. Uh, That's the first, or the end of chapter 2 in Mark. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field one morning. And the disciples, as hungry as they are, 
they begin to pluck heads of grain. They begin to kind of do this and, and rub them between their hands to get the kernel out of the husk. And then they eat the, the kernels of grain. Now, is that a problem in itself? No, it was not. The Old Testament law gave rules and regulations and allowances for someone. If they're passing through a vineyard, they could eat the grapes as they went along. They could eat their fill um, just as long as they were passing through. Or the same thing with a grain field. They could be, pa- as long as they were passing along or beside the grain field or through it, they, could, they were allowed to pick the heads of grain and eat them along the way just to satisfy and quell their hunger that they had. Now, the problem so here wasn't what they were doing. It was perfectly fine. It was permissible, as strange as it might seem for some of us. But what they, it's not what they were doing, but when they were doing it. Because it also happened to be the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees then, uh, who were always on the lookout for Sabbath breakers and rebels, they look at Jesus and they accost him about what they were, do, what they were doing and what is he going to do about it. Because on the Sabbath, you're supposed to refrain from work. And reaping the fields then was explicitly mentioned in the law as being a prohibited. You were not supposed to put the sickle in the field. And so again, still, like, what's the big deal? What's going on here? Well, the Pharisees wanted the people to be extra sure that they were not going to break the Sabbath. And according to their traditions then about how to keep the law... They counted picking grain by hand, even if it was just a few kernels like they were doing, probably amounting to like a slice of bread. They said, "Uh ah, that's reaping. That was the equivalent in their mind of putting the sickle into the grain. And so therefore, in their minds, the disciples were violating the Sabbath and then Jesus was responsible for letting them. And they pointed out to him, what gives you the right to break the Sabbath? There's something about this whole scene that makes them uncomfortable. As self-righteous people who are devoted to the rules tend to feel when they see other people who are not following along. But Jesus' response, though, like so many of his responses, makes them even more uncomfortable. He references a story about King David eating the holy bread of the tabernacle. You can find that story if you want to read it later in 1 Samuel 21. And Jesus says, well, wait a second. You know all the ins and outs of the law. Do you remember reading this story? The story where David and some of his men were on the run from Saul. And they passed by the tabernacle. And they are famished. They're hungry. They've got like nothing with them. And so they stop in and they ask the priest, hey, do you have any bread for us? We're starving, like literally. But all he had, though, was the bread of the presence. All he had was the bread here, which was the the loaves that were dedicated and set before God in the holy place. It was a ceremonial bread. Only the priest was supposed to eat it there and only at certain times. But even though this bread was, was to be set before the Lord and for this particular purpose, David and also allowed by the priests there, eats the bread of the presence and he gives it to his men who are with him. And interesting love, when you read it, they weren't struck dead. Plague didn't break out. Fire didn't consume them. We don't even read about an upset stomach or indigestion. The Bible doesn't seem to interpret this negatively. Rather that as in what they did was actually okay in that particular circumstance. And so the principle of this scenario that Jesus is drawing out here is that sometimes with the law, the tendency is to focus so much 
on protecting the boundaries that we miss the intentions. That bread was set aside by God for his worship. No one could just go in and steal a a few bites as they wanted if they were feeling a little hungry. It was for a specific purpose for the worship of the Lord and specifically commanded by him also. But in that moment, though, when David the king and his men were famished to the point of exhaustion, that, that then keeping that bread aside while they starved missed the point of God's worship. The ritual right there in that moment wasn't as important as it was for caring for some starving individuals. It's the same idea when in some of the prophets when the Lord says, I don't want your empty and heartless sacrifices. I don't want your sacrifices just for the sake of making them. I'm tired of those. What I want is your obedience, and I want you to listen to me. And so by alluding to this story, Jesus makes an implicit application to his disciples with the grain. The disciples aren't breaking the Sabbath. The issue at hand isn't whether or not what they're doing something that constitutes work or reaping. They're hungry. And disallowing them to eat is a failure to care for them. And yet still, the Pharisees were enslaving them with the Sabbath and not recognizing the the needs of the individuals who were involved. And so instead of something good that God gave them, the Sabbath became a burden to them. And this might be how some of us regard the idea of Sabbath or rest. How do I rest from my labors? Does checking my email constitute work? Is there a certain amount of work that I can do or I can't do on a certain day? I've known people who are artists and who are woodworkers for their livings, but they also get so much joy out of working with their hands and creating apart from their regular work on on a Sunday. Um, And they ask, can I still do that? Because it's something that I love and I enjoy. I love the creative aspect. See, the thing is here, we start thinking about all the rules. What can we do? What can't we do? And pretty soon, that's all that we focus on. And Sabbath rest no longer becomes restful. It's frustrating. It's confusing. And so we just give up on the whole idea altogether. And yet Jesus, though, reminds us of this important truth that we can so easily forget when we approach these matters. Jesus says in verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's so obvious. It's something that should be so obvious to them and to us, but it's also so easy for us to miss. And so doesn't that change everything, though, when we think about it? It gets down to the purpose of both. We were not created to be enslaved to figuring out the ins and the outs specifically of Sabbath. And Sabbath was given to us by God out of his abundant goodness then. In the order of the first week of creation, God created humanity before he instituted the Sabbath. He put us here first and then he gave us Sabbath. He set that day aside as a gift to us. There was something special about it. There was something intentional about it. Something that he wanted us to have. He wanted us to have not only rest, but he wanted us to have worshipful rest. And we need to remember that. Because rules are, are to keep track of become our default instead of this concept of enjoyment. And so we start to build these rigid walls to keep us in line. And when you're learning how to drive, right, one of the things that you quickly learn 
is to not look at the obstacles, but rather to look at the way you want to go. All right, because where you look, where you're looking, it tends to be the, where, the place where you end up going. So instead, don't focus on the obstacle. Don't focus on the tree branch in the middle of the road. Don't focus on the kids who are playing on the side of the road or on the sidewalk. Focus on the way to go down the street there, and, and you'll make your way through. See, when we, t- we spend our time looking at the walls of what does or doesn't constitute Sabbath, these walls that, 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 that keep, try to keep us aligned, then we end up crashing into them. Because we're not looking at where, where we ought to be going. We're not looking down the road. We start looking at one side or the other, and we, and we, we hit the barricade. Whereas if instead we look at the day as it being a gift from God, we're in much better shape, and we enjoy it so much more. And so we do need to recognize it as a gift to us. It was never intended to be a burden. When Israel was in bondage to Israel, they were slaves. Their lives were all about production. They were required to stay busy. So when the Lord freed them and he brought them out of Egypt and he brought them to Sinai, one of the most amazing commands that he gave to them was this one, rest. You've been used to being slaves your whole life. You've been slaves to to your oppressors. You've been slaves to productivity. But you know what? You've had to work seven days a week, but I'm going to give you a day where you don't need to work. I'm going to give you a day of rest. Because you're not slaves, he's reminding them with that day. He says, you belong to me. I have liberated you. In fact, God even refers to the Sabbath in Exodus 31 as being a defining mark of his covenant with his people. The nations would know them as God's people, not by how they worked, but how they rested. The same God, the God who rested himself, provided a gift of holy rest to overworked people who are enslaved to busyness. And I'm not referring to Israel there. I'm referring to us. If we approach Sabbath as a burden to be kept, like the Pharisees did, then we're going to miss the whole fact that it's a gift to us. So Jesus rescues man from the Sabbath's misunderstanding. But second, Jesus also rescues the Sabbath from man's misappropriation. Jesus rescues the Sabbath from man's misappropriation, which really is here in chapter 3, 1 through 6. So later on that same Sabbath day, they go on to the synagogue to worship. And there, amongst everyone else there gathered together, is a man with a withered hand. And the religious leaders, hot off their confrontation with Jesus earlier in the day, they stand by to see what he'll do. Will, they heal the, will he heal the man? Or will he let him go? I mean, after all, healing him would be considered work according to their criteria. It wasn't as if this were emergency you know, here, it wasn't life-threatening anything for this man. It was just a withered hand. Thus, in their minds, healing the man and restoring his hand would be to violate the Sabbath. It's these times, though, of pent-up energy, right? this, these un- times of uncomfortable buzz that seem to follow Jesus. This is just where he, he thrives. And so he asks the Pharisees a question. And it's a challenge to them about what's the right thing to do in verse 4. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? 
What would be the best thing to do according to the principles of the Sabbath? Would it be to heal him or to let him go? If that's indeed right or wrong there in your minds, what is it? Is it okay to heal him on the other six days but not this day? Should I turn him away and then have him come back again tomorrow? And the implied answer, and you have to imagine a note of fear in their, 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 their non-response also because everyone knows the right answer there too is, of course you heal him. And the reason why is because the Sabbath is also for doing good. The Pharisees, again, wanted to erect these, these brick walls around the Sabbath to protect it from, not, from what not to do. But those same walls, though, also prevent us from doing what we ought to do on the day. And we end up building a prison around something like Sabbath, which then keeps it locked away. And its goodness, its character as a, character as a gift is inaccessible to us. But Jesus is rescuing the Sabbath from these Pharisees and from their walls. He restores it from its shackles of simply what not to do. And he puts a positive spin on it. It's not only a day of rest, but it's also a day of doing good to others. It's a blessed day. It's a day that God blessed us with. And a day where our enjoyment of it means that we also make it a blessed day for others. It's communal. And that demonstrates a true understanding of Sabbath. It's not just for me to enjoy, but it's I get to bring others into enjoying it also. Because when we only look at it individually, we make it about ourselves. And it becomes just simply on how I practice it, how I keep it. But if it's communal, if it's more than just me, but it's a gathering here, then it becomes how we can enjoy it together. The day takes on a more special tone for us as we look to help others in the goodness of the day. And so trying to bring others into the specialness of the Sabbath pulls me from my self-righteous tendencies. And when Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he sees their silence to this question, which their silence is really an answer, he is filled with grief. Grief at them for their hardness of heart, it says in verse 5. He is upset because their heart has become stony hard. He grieves that they have not been able to recognize the Sabbath in the way that God intended. And instead, they become so obsessed with maintaining their self-made holy standards that their hearts have been hardened to the suffering of others. And what else is it then that they would, or what else is it that would have said no to Jesus healing this man, right? They didn't care about anyone other than themselves. In fact, they show Later, that they are actually willing to kill on the Sabbath day. At the end in verse 6. Then they go and they plot and they conspire. Actually, with the Herodians who were their political enemies of the day. They conspire on a way that how they can destroy Jesus. They are actually breaking the Sabbath by thinking about how they can kill. Not to save this man. And that's why Jesus isn't only grieved. He's angry. And when we read about the times when Jesus gets angry, we need to pay attention. Because this isn't the anger of a mere man. This is the anger of God. The wrath of God burning against these spiritual leaders. They were supposed to be shepherds to these people. They were to care for them. They were to guide them in the ways of righteousness and faith. But they would have rather, though, left this man with his withered hand and let him go instead of rejoicing that Jesus was restoring him. 
See, if you want to know what, God, what gets God good and angry, it's when people harm his sheep. He loves them with a burning love, a love that would put his son Jesus on the cross, and he meets those then who seek to harm them with an equally burning anger. And he wants us to enjoy the day that he gave to us, to rest and receive refreshment. He wants us to rest so that we will enjoy the sign of his covenant. And so the world then might know of his glory and praise him for liberating us from slavery. And he does all this because, third, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, the, the, kind of the central verse you could say here is in chapter 2, 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what does it mean? What does it mean to be Lord of the Sabbath? There's a weight to his words. And for one thing, he's making a claim to his divinity. Jesus is saying that he himself is God. The concept of Jesus as, as no mere man but God wasn't a label that people put on him ages later. But he made the claim himself. Because in the first week of creation, it was God who laid aside the Sabbath day. He's the one who instituted it. God rested from his works. God set aside the day. And God gave the day to humanity. And so when Jesus then says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I am claiming possession of it. If there's one person who can claim lordship and possession of the Sabbath, who is it? It's God. He's claiming and proclaiming himself as the God who laid it aside or who set it aside and blessed the day. And if you're trying to understand who Jesus is, then this is something that you need to work through. Jesus himself declares that he is divine. It wasn't some idea that was thought of later and put upon him. He himself said it. And if you're going to take Jesus' words seriously, what will you do with his words right here? And as the Lord of the Sabbath, as its owner and giver, he also reveals to us its true purpose. He shows us its true value so that we can enjoy it properly. I know smartphones are something that we're all accustomed to now, right? But imagine 15 or 20 years ago when they were just beginning to get popular. And you give your friend an iPhone. And then you visit your friend a few weeks later and you realize that all they're using the iPhone for is just the calculator function. Which, admittedly, for someone who's bad at math, I appreciate the calculator function. But I recognize, though, too, that the calculator function is not the only thing that an iPhone is for. If so, that's the most expensive calculator I could imagine. But what you have to do, though, is then you show them the goodness of the, the phone. Show them everything that it can do, not just the calculator function, but email, uh, calling, right? Sometimes we forget about that, but texting, uh, internet capabilities, apps, on and on. And then you, they begin to see when you, when you are opening up to them the full extent and the full goodness of it, you begin to, they begin to say, oh, this is how I can use it. I understand it better now. And Jesus does us the same thing. Jesus shows us how to use the gift properly. And he demonstrates to us just how good it really is. And ultimately, he himself points us to his goodness. Or to its good, his goodness here. The goodness of the Sabbath. Because as Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's the one who gives perfect rest. It's found in him. 
I mean, for all the ways that we acquiesce to the culture and, and the times that we, that we just take on busyness, or all the, the moments when we give ourselves to the idol of work, Jesus tells us to put those aside and to look to him. Put aside your own works as a way to find meaning. And stop offering your calendar as a sacrifice to the false god of busyness and productivity. And instead, rest in Jesus' work. We are only able to rest from our work when we rest in his work. Because on the cross, he declared that his work was finished. The task given to him by the Father was complete. There was nothing more to do. He completed everything. It's finished. So faith is resting in him. It's putting aside our own work and resting in the fact that Jesus finished his perfect work for us. And so we don't need to be enslaved to our own works and strivings. We work, yes, it's part of our lives, but we can also rest and enjoy Sabbath as we rest in Christ. Because he's freed us from from the demands that the world wants from us. We don't have to just automatically assume a busy life or derive meaning from it. And so for as often as we do, though, for as often as we wander from Jesus and forget that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and that he is the good giver of rest, all the times that we reject his gift or the times that we misuse it, he calls us then to look back to the cross where our sinful wanderings and our idolatries to the lesser gods of our schedules were taken upon him and were crucified with him. His work for our redemption is what matters the most. And it's what allows us to truly enjoy rest in him. We're free to enjoy it. And where Sabbath rest is most focused in our lives is on the Lord's day. On Sunday here. Not a rest on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, but it's the first day. It's the day of his resurrection where Jesus was crucified on, on the, the, the sixth day. He laid in the tomb on the seventh on Saturday and he rose again on Sunday on the first day of the week. Right? It's the day of his resurrection, the day when hope dawned into the world. And in Christ, you don't work for six days in order to accomplish and earn your way into the seventh day of rest. Jesus has done everything. He has already entered into that rest. His resurrection is a sign of the rest then that he shares with us. Instead, we get to start our weeks resting. We rest on the first day of the week. The priority then, the organizing principle for our lives, the number one thing for us to do on our to-do lists and our calendars is to rest, to worship, to remember Jesus, to come before him and worship him, to enjoy the good gift that he gave to us by his work that he did for us. And to orient everything else in our lives and everything else in our week afterwards around that fact there, that Jesus Christ is crucified and is raised. See, isn't that beautiful? Right? The things that you do during the week are important. They're part of the tasks and the callings that he's put upon us as we go and we live in the world. But Christ wants you to remember first who he is and what he's done before you go into the rigors and the demands of your week. We need that. So as things become overwhelming, we remember from the first day 
that he's the king over everything. As we fail throughout the week and we sin against God and others, the tone of the week has already been set from the first day that Jesus' cross is our reconciliation. And as we're confronted again, as we do over and over, by tragedy or hardship or trials, we remember from the first day that Jesus will bring us into eternal rest. See, Sabbath rest isn't only something to be enjoyed right now. It's something that will be brought to fullness when all things are newly created someday. And the rest, and that day of rest that we enjoy right now, is a foretaste of the eternal rest. right? Filled with the everlasting peace of God and his blessing upon us. When we rest now, we are enjoying and we are remembering the sign that's given to us from God. That things will not always be as they are. And all things, including us, will be renewed someday in Christ and will be brought to peace. So the way that we rest, then, is a sign of God's covenant promises to us. We are freed from the world and its demands. Our schedules or our work or our idea of needing to be busy all the time doesn't have control over us. The real Lord over my life is the Lord of the Sabbath. I've been purchased by a loving God who wants me to rest in Him. Enjoy his gift then. It's a time to put down your busyness and to turn away from the false God of productivity and to instead bow before the good God of liberating rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And our Sabbath rest is a confession of faith. When we do so, we are confessing to the world, to one another, even to ourselves, that he remains the Lord over every aspect of our lives. So that when you're taking part in Sabbath rest, you are declaring, I am not a slave to production. My boss doesn't own me. My calendar doesn't run my life. The culture's demands on on what life should be like has no say over me. My labor doesn't dictate who I am, nor am I chained to endless deadlines, but I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who has set me free from being enslaved to my work. And he has allowed me to rest. And I have infinite worth and I am loved more than I could possibly know, even to the extent of Jesus going to the cross, not because of my own labors, but because of his grace, which has sought me out. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, rest is beautiful. It's a good thing. It's something that we are all striving for. But at the same time, rest is hard. We either don't know how to rest uh, in the sense that it's, we're so unaccustomed to it, or we don't know how to go about it. And rest is, is an approaching life with a, a, a restfulness. Re- even resting in Jesus is just so countercultural. It's difficult for us. But we thank you, though, still, nonetheless, for giving us this beautiful gift, for giving us Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath and who is the Lord over our lives. And as we continue to go from here, as we start this week here on this day right now, this first day resting Would that be our priority? Would we remember who it is that Jesus is for us? And as we go tomorrow and Tuesday and on and on into our normal everyday lives, would we remember 
that we are not a people who first and foremost are categorized by work, but the work of Jesus. Not our work, but his. And allow that to settle into our souls and teach us more on how to rest and not rest for self-righteous ways, but to rest with one another and to rest in you because we know just how needy we are. And may the way that we rest be our witness to the world, that they would see that we are people who, who value the importance of work but we are also people who value the importance of rest and are able to do so because it is a gift of your grace to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.